Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, you're listening to Subdoc, a show where we talk to interesting people with strong opinions about their favorite documentary. I'm Paco Romain. And I'm George Chen. On today's episode, we're going to review Joan Rivers, A Piece of Work, the 2010 documentary from directors Annie Sundberg, Ricky Stern, that chronicles the life and work of Joan Rivers. And we sit down with writer and comedian Julia Prescott. We're here in... Julia Prescott's house. Yeah. Thanks for having us in your lovely Highland Park home. Yeah. Thanks for coming over. Thanks yeah. for having me on. How about no, it's, that? It's nice to have a whole dedicated room to podcasting. Yeah. Because we do this. We Sometimes people are walking through Paco's living room. It's true. Uh, yeah. Sometimes my girlfriend comes home and is like, I, was I too loud? And we used to record in my living room in San Francisco where there's a, a private French-American school behind me and there are very loud recesses. What a San Francisco sentence. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's also a Pete's coffee shop in my kitchen. Oh, wow. So Incredible. Yeah. It's very San Francisco. I like your macchiato. Thank you. <laughs> my sister used to live in the Mission District and um, very sad that she doesn't live there anymore because it was such a great getaway but mm-hmm. i remember pretty much every time i was there every weekend there was some kind of parade happening like <laughs> yeah. down 24th street right outside of her window i was like what is this one for and she's like i lose count yeah you, you lived in the bay right at some i did point? very briefly yeah. i lived in oakland i okay. went to the best part of the bay area. the best yeah. uh rockridge specifically uh <laughs> oh. i went to california college of the arts for my freshman year of college and then i realized that art school is bullshit yeah, <laughs> and it I really left. is but i loved the bay area yeah. and i went back frequently because my sister lived there, and yeah. I still have family up there. And she's she's got a good gig down here, so <laughs> no one can really. Do uh, all right. Yeah, she yeah. moved from uh, San Francisco to L.A. to work on BoJack Horseman. Whoa! To do <laughs> As what? An animator. Oh, she's wow. a background artist on it, I think. And sometimes she does props. I don't truly have a grasp on, <laughs> even though I'm surrounded by animators in my life currently. My fiance is an animator, oh, okay. but um. I don't have a, a real firm grasp on the different uh, roles, but I know that she's done those two things at least. So she worked on BoJack season three, and then she's hopped around a bunch of stuff. The backgrounds are excellent on season oh, three. Oh, yeah. that's what everyone says. <laughs> yeah. I think I read that AV Club uh, write-up. <laughs> what, and what's, your, what's your name? Her name? Yeah. Her name's Katie Prescott. Oh, nice. Yeah, so look and, out for her. Mm-hmm. And your fiancé. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. I yeah. get that on record. I know I saw you and I told you congratulations. <laughs> well, you, yeah, but, you yeah. met him pre- I met him once, yeah, yeah. Engagement, yeah. yeah. Right. Because I don't know when this recording. is going to drop. I don't know when you're going to be married by the time this drops or not. I, well, I probably <laughs> won't be because it's nine months away. Okay. <laughs> we'll wait. You never know. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good. That's good to hear. We're, we're going to hold on to this podcast yeah. episode. I mean, it's... We're going to wait until something happens with Joan Rivers' career, you know? <laughs> yeah. That happens more often than it should with podcasting. Yeah. Where it's like, cool, we had like such a great podcasting episode uh, record if I do somebody else's. And it's like, okay... Three months later, yeah. it pops up on Twitter. I'm like, oh, yeah. my yeah. life's so different now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, I don't do any of those things any longer. Yeah. I talked about on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, but we were giving my fiance a shout out. I want to complete the show. Oh, yeah. Let's do that. Mike L. Mayfield, if if you're listening, listeners, um, Google him because you'll probably like his stuff. Sounds he has a like lot a of... blues guitarist. Ooh, he would love to hear Doesn't that. It? Mike yeah. L. Mayfield. He, you know, he uh, fiddles around with music. Uh, nice. Another very attractive quality about him to me. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but he is a director on Mr. Pickles on Adult Swim. Oh. And he's directed a ton of other stuff. He directed the first season of China, Illinois on Adult Swim. And he's worked on American Dad and wow. The Cleveland Show. And now he's um, directing a couple episodes of Nick Kroll's new Netflix show. Jeez. I know. What is Nick Kroll's new show? What's he doing? It's called Big Mouth, 
and it's um, a show that he is uh, he's created with one of his childhood friends who's also I think a family guy writer and I can't recall his name at the moment um, but he's not a comedian and uh, the voice actors are Nick Kroll and John Mulaney and Maya Rudolph and like all the greats and um, I guess I could best describe it as sort of uh, like not quite after school special but dealing with after school special type pubescent oh, issues yeah. through a very adult lens perfect and I um, can already kind of see it somehow. yeah and and mike comes home every day uh, very excited to be drawing talking vaginas and sure. uh, and ghosts of, of pubescence <laughs> <laughs> so you're surrounded by animators and also you have a podcast about the simpsons yes. oh, yeah, so we're right. surrounded by all this simpsons paraphernalia yeah in this room. we've yeah. decked out this room to be very simpsons because we record my simpsons podcast and you have a simpsons trivia night yes it's more of an afternoon um i co-host it with a bunch of other uh great comedians kyle clark adam murray john angaro at meltdown comics first saturday of every month baby Um, and they started it and then i hopped on i think year two or something i'm the score master so if you really want to win you gotta suck up to me and some people do and it's great nice but it doesn't really get them that far you gotta know are there prizes oh yeah um we were formerly uh sponsored by loot crate so we got a lot of like cool nerdy prizes Uh but now we kind of go out of pocket but we we don't cut corners we you know give out like cardboard standees of simpsons characters or like simpsons merch like backpacks and books and stuff like that i always um do something for best team name because a lot of people that come to this may feel a little defeated because the same teams are winning every time. Mm. Uh, ooh, this is a fun fact. Um, former All That cast member Lori Beth Denberg is a regular at um, Stonecutters, which is what it's called. Uh-huh. And she clinches <laughs> the title of the top one, the top team, first place almost every time. She's like an insane nerd about it. Um, so because of that, I didn't want people to be discouraged to come, so uh, I introduced the best team name prize, which I think has unleashed a sort of monster because now the team names are so fucking long. Yeah, right, <laughs> and right. I have to handwrite them all, yeah. and they're like three to four sentences. And just severely deep cuts yes, in the Yes, severe Simpsons. deep cuts. Yeah. And it's hard to choose. Like, yeah. what? why is this a best team name? But, yeah. you know, we often go from, like, how clever is this? How deep of a cut? And... Um, what the audience reaction was and stuff like that. Can you remember like one of your favorites? <sighs> I'm a stupid moron with an ugly face and a butt and my butt smells <laughs> and I like to smell my own butt. Yeah. And every time I would say that I would kind of act up that I was like being diminished by it yeah. and like pieces of my soul were breaking <laughs> off more and more. That's funny. Um, and that was fun. Uh, but you know, some people get really creative and, um, uh, one team name that I really enjoyed was we're just a little late. We're still good. We're still good. That was fine. <laughs> so sometimes like people will adapt a Simpsons reference yeah. to like, you know, the situation. And I find that to be really creative. Yeah. That's so cool. And but uh, we haven't, what is the name of your podcast? It's called everything's coming up podcast. Oh, perfect. So segueing into documentaries. Uh, what did you choose for us today to talk about Julia? Um, Joan Rivers, a piece of work. Right. Yeah, which is a documentary that I've rewatched several times. I I li- I liked I liked this documentary. I really wish I didn't love it. I really wish that it would had spent more time in the past with her past work. Hmm. You know, at the time of her guest hosting the Tonight Show. Right. And right. more of you know that I really because I don't know much about her, and I was really hoping to learn a lot of her about her coming into the comedy world and all of her work and stuff. And it didn't really, it touches a little bit on it. It didn't sit there very long. It's a hard line to make, I think, with, if you're making a documentary about a public figure, what, like, where do you draw the line of, is this excessive to have too much of this backstory that we presume enough people know that it's not as necessary for screen time? Because, you know, you hear about a documentary that's extremely long, which happens, but it's more of a con against people sitting down and watching it. Now we have Netflix, so that's, you know, not as hard of a sell. But, um, yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, but I also think that, at least in, in my viewing of this um, documentary, 
in this modern digital age, it encouraged me to Google. And so I kind of filled in the blanks myself on my own time and right. go, okay, well, what, what did that look like? Because I wasn't around when she had her own show. So right. I like Googled it and saw some clips. And yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that means it's a well-made doc then if it intrigues yeah. you, you know, and interests you and yeah. you wanted to learn more about it. I, did, I actually ended up doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of, uh, I watched, I've seen it a couple times in this morning. I went through it again and I was like, man, I got to learn more about like her early yeah. work and where she started and the uh carson oh like, yeah. Uh, yeah speaking of team of rivals you know yeah. like the carson story is pretty yeah. nuts in itself yeah i was reading a little bit about that and i kind of for- i remember that happening but i didn't you know we didn't know the things at the time i think about like him just never speaking to her again or anything like that yeah I don't, that was public i mean that kind of like industry uh rivalry is so frequent and terrifying. It just <laughs> makes terrifying. me it makes me feel unsafe as a yeah. member of this comedy community that I could make any single misstep and you know, but also like how do you navigate a career and like how do you say this is the right move and this is going to be the bold move? Like particularly the bold move because you know, she was destined to be in the forefront. She's not playing it safe in the background. And you have to make bold moves in order to make these huge strides, not only for your career, which is hard enough as it is without bringing gender into the equation, but then for a female, it's really difficult. So mm-hmm. I think that she, I, I think she made the right move. And I think that he was being kind of a dick about it. Mm-hmm. Be, uh, agreed. Of, yeah, of course. I mean, mm-hmm. I th- loyalty means a lot in the entertainment world because without loy I mean that's all you have a lot of times yeah. and I think for Johnny it was like I I said you're going to be a star which made you a star which got you to a place that you could guest host and now you're doing your own right. talk show that's running but it's like well Johnny you're the king right and she's still working her way up like I and think it's fine yeah she could have I suppose had um, a conversation with him I don't know like the nature of their friendship she could have had a conversation with him before signing like hey what do you think should i sign blah yeah. blah blah and yeah. he could have said yes or no but then that also feels like he has like some weird well, ownership over beholden. her yeah, yeah. I, well, the thing i read was that she was told by fox that uh any this leaking out could jinx the whole thing mm-hmm. right so she didn't right. even want to talk to him for fear of leaking that which it was is often announced. the case yeah. with stuff like that yeah. as we saw in those uh, louis episodes uh, when he was oh, right. being primed to be the next oh, yeah, the, the david, david lynch, lynch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, good. so good but who wouldn't jump at that like I if know. you're offered your own talk show on fox here's the like, thing it's like we can sit on our pedestal and say i would never do that i would never do this i'll take any goddamn job yeah <laughs> yeah exactly if, except for tmc yeah, <laughs> i yeah. draw the line at tmc yeah but I'll take any kind. Anything of besides TMZ. Do you think TMZ has blood on their hands, or what do you have like? Or is like, it just, just so distasteful? I think that they're morally corrupt, and yeah, I wouldn't yeah, yeah. want to support that yeah. because there's no way that you can go into a system like that and change it. Mm-hmm. No, you can't <laughs> fight against that. They're pretty entrenched. No, at this you can't point, fight City Hall. <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, have you what well, like in your career? Have you made a like a really bold move that you are glad you looking back and you're like, I'm so glad that I did that. Hmm. Where, where'd you grow up first? Let me I ask. I grew up that. in North Hollywood. Oh, so you're I from about here. Okay. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I had parents that worked in the industry. Um, my, my dad was actually a stand up comedian oh, in the eighties oh, and the early nineties. <laughs> um, but he, uh, he stopped doing comedy before I was born. And so I never really got to see him perform. Um, but he used to do warm up. He oh, was like wow. one of those comics. What was his Tim former? Prescott. Tim Prescott. Mm-hmm. And um and then my mom came out here to try acting and then she segued her career into um she works in the legal department at uh, Disney Television Animation. Oh wow. So again, I've grown up around animation just like by some fucking coincidence. And and I know you worked on a show. I don't know I didn't the an, was it an animated show. Yeah, the I've, Aquabats I've, show. Um, well, I've written on a, a bunch of shows, um, mm-hmm. mostly in kids. Uh, I wrote on Mad for Cartoon Network. Um, I wrote on uh, coming coming out soon, Future Worm on Disney XD. The Aquabat Super Show aired on the Hub, but I don't think the Hub exists anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> I so remember I, seeing could, Mad yeah Mad TV for kids. I'm like, what? What I Mad know, TV for kids? I know. I mean, I read Mad Magazine as a yeah, kid, which yeah. is get away with different stuff. That was yeah. my first writing job. Mm-hmm. I was very fortunate to get it. I was a young 22 whippersnapper, yeah. straight out of college, baby. Um, and so I did 
did that and then uh, written on a bunch of other stuff. I wrote on Mutton Stuff on Nick Jr. And then uh, I've written on a couple things um, that have yet to air. And because it's animation, I probably won't be able to announce until a year right. or two from now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I've written for pretty much every major kids network, very luckily. Um, and, and I... And I break out of it with like I've written for Screen Junkies and uh, Vice for a number of years and stuff like that. And as they say at Cape Canaveral she took off like a rocket. The Tonight Show was a pinnacle for Joan and the more guest appearances she got either guesting with Johnny or guest hosting for Johnny the bigger and stronger the career was going and building up and up and up and then eventually they made her the permanent guest host of the Tonight Show which was a big thing. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I was remembering you were saying one of the reasons we went with this is you were actually at the Joan Rivers yeah, roast. I was. The Comedy Central roast. Oh. Mm-hmm. So how, tell tell us about that story. How did that end up working Okay, so I was, I think I was interning at Comedy Central at the time, actually. And um, and then the year after, I just remembered, I worked the David Hasselhoff roast. (laughs) I was like a producer's PA or whatever, uh, which was bizarre. So I got to see, uh, you know, how the donuts are made. And um, is that the phrase? (laughs) (laughs) Now it is. Now it is. Especially with David Hasselhoff. We're in Highland Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in a a Simpsons podcast room. Um, Yeah, I, so... I got really into Celebrity Apprentice and <laughs> honestly the not the biggest heartache of this election early in the early stages of this election when Trump was presenting himself as the Republican nominee or you know way back when when he was just saying he was going to run for president I was uh, the most bummed that we lost Celebrity Apprentice even though Arnie's going to come in and replace him as the host but Trump, that was the only job Trump was good at. I, <laughs> yeah. I will go to bat for that till I die. He was so good at it. And so um, we, my mom and I would watch that. It'd be like one of our reality shows. And, uh, you know, we'd always check in with each other like, oh, did you watch it? Oh, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. And so we just became really into Joan on Celebrity Apprentice, which you see chronicled in this documentary. Yeah. Prior to that, we were also big Kathy Griffin fans. Oh, <laughs> so, you and, and your I mom? know, was, yeah, I know. Was I'm, it the I'm, D list? Did you watch that? The D list was a great reality show. I really enjoyed it. With and her husband Mike, Matt, or something. Matt, maybe it was Matt. I don't think that something they're married like that. anymore. No, I don't there think was a big so. uh, scandal that happened. Yeah, um, which tends to hmm, happen to people that are celebrities and then they marry normies. But um, right. I think he worked in tech anyway. We became big fans, and so I had heard that they were going to be roasting Joan Rivers through my internship, and was like, "We gotta go." And then the roast master was Kathy Griffin, so it was like a real one-two punch. Like, this will be like I'm number one daughter in the world. Let's go do this. Uh-huh. And uh, so we went, and we were just like sitting in like you know the stadium seating where they put like all the you know nobodies, and like they were just tossing us beers, and they weren't even good beers. They were like. Budweiser 50 calorie water down you know it was just like okay I guess this works and I'm just sitting there with my mom and uh we sit through it and it's it's great I'm having a great time but then I occasionally look back over to my mom and I'm seeing her grimace at (laughs) these jokes yeah and just getting more and more uncomfortable then gilbert gottfried takes the stage and makes some kind of blowjob joke and it was just like oh boy um and so afterward i kind of had to have a conversation with my mom and (laughs) i believe her takeaway was (laughs) i i don't know what i was thinking uh i thought it was gonna be like one of those dean martin rows (laughs) they were just gonna be classy too it was nothing but oh you shouldn't even say the word and yeah. So, but it was great to be there and then to see it in the documentary. It was, it was, uh, you know, really exciting to kind of be a part of the history of it. You were sitting far enough away. You didn't really get to see Joan's reactions to anything. I'm, we were 
I mean, kind of. The way that they had it. Uh, so if you've ever watched a Comedy Central roast, <laughs> it's sort of like just your standard award show um, where they have it sort of like a banquet hall set up and all the like celebrities and comedians are on like these little, you know, tables, these round tables and they're having dinner and drinks and whatever and blah, blah, blah. But the way that they set up all like the schmoes that are just watching it to be part of the audience is on these stadium seating like things risers yeah. on the side so we were actually closer than like a lot oh. of the celebrities because we were just on the side uh, but you know we just weren't front and center because what i remember from the movie is like it sort of revealed that she actually gets her feelings hurt like jones feels yeah like, and also i i think her relationship with kathy griffin seems very strange it's very right strange. it's very like she talks shit a lot about her in yeah. this yeah yeah but does. you know i and that's a thing too because like it's interesting. I watched so much of Kathy Griffin's reality show. So, of course, that's her perspective. She always had such reverence for Joan. Mm-hmm. Um, but but then also Joan is such like a brash kind of lady that you never quite know if she's just sort of like, you know, being sassy to be sassy or if she's actually speaking her emotions. Mm-hmm. And I don't recall her being outwardly emotionally hurt by the roast. I mean, they. I think that it's hard to express that actually, mm-hmm. and I haven't really seen too many Comedy Central roasties like be genuinely hurt. Because I think the bright lights are shining on you. You're in the yeah. moment. You just sort of smile on camera. Am I wrong? Is that not in the film? I think she's just talking like about on stage. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, right, right. You're, when you're on stage, you're not going to do it. Yeah, they always oh, yeah. have the rebuttal. That's true. Where yeah. they stand up and go, and mm-hmm. then you, son of a bitch. Have you yeah. guys ever been or um, been a part of uh, the historical roast that they have at Meltdown? No, it's I have. Oh, is it people it. are doing character. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Yes, yeah, so I've done it a couple times. I did it once. Who would you play? Myself. So I did it once as just me, and I roasted Lucille Ball. Mm. And then I had I was asked to play a character for a recent one. It was like their two year anniversary, something like that. It was a roast of Hitler, and Dave Ross played Hitler. <laughs> and then they asked That's me, a I, <laughs> "My God, I'm a nice guy." It was <laughs> that was a really great uh, impression. Whatever, um, uh, it was that's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, send that to him. Number right? one, Dave Ross impression. Dave Ross, the Dave Ross, the Dave Ross. Let's roast some Daves. Yeah. Oh my God, yeah, that'd be so nice. great. Uh. Let's produce a comedy show where it's just a bunch of Dave. I've been wanting to do Dave's show for a while with all the Daves in comedy, oh, and Dave yeah, Child yeah. said that he's been trying to do it too. So I was like, yeah, get on it. Dave but the Foley, Dave Ross yeah. would be so fun. Anyway. We call it Dave's, I know. Anyway, uh, uh, yeah, he played Hitler. I mean, that backstage area was, like, so fucking funny. I'm yeah. sure. Just because, like, every couple of minutes, like, we'd be hanging out and talking, 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 whatever, whatever. And then, like, Dave would catch a glimpse of himself in the mirror and be like, oh, fuck. You know, because he had the Hitler mustache and whatever. But they asked me to play Anne Frank. And so oh my uh, God. I was like, I guess... Sure. So I donned my best, like, schoolgirl, 15-year-old kind of outfit. And it was great. I, like, came out and... We're in an I, attic right now. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, and uh, I pretended like I was um, writing in my diary. Like, so I was writing my roast jokes in my diary. And I just kept making these really dark references to how sad my life was, but saying it in a very, like, German deadpan, like, oh, you know, I my life very sad. And then, uh, yeah, it was it was great. And then at the end of that, I had, um, so I was, like, in the middle, I had music playing as if it were, like, you know, Deep Thoughts with Jack Handy. And um, in the middle of my writing my jokes in, in the journal, um, I had my friend dress up as an SF SS officer. Um, and he just yelled like, oh, we found her. And I went, oh no, gotta go. And then they played yakety sax <laughs> as he chased me off stage and through the audience. Oh, wow. I, there is video of this. I need it. But it was like so one Benny of the funnest. Uh, yes. It was one of the funnest moments of my comedy career. <laughs> and we just kept, uh, I kept sitting in empty audience seats and being like, ooh, 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 and like hiding behind audience members and being yeah. like, you can't get me. And then he was like, you know, shaking his hand, you know, very playfully, and it was very fun. This may be too insidery, but pl- who who were some other people doing what other characters? They didn't do. The I was the only character, so oh, okay, they usually the have character. it where it's uh, a lineup of comedians and then one character and oh, then one person the playing. Right. Yeah, okay, and yeah. one of the other uh, great ones that I've seen was um, the roast of Helen Keller. 
And Lindsay Adams played Helen Keller. I don't know if you know Lindsay, but she's fantastic. And then Ever Maynard played um, Annie Sullivan. So their relationship was so funny on stage because, like, (laughs) Lindsay played Helen like a fucking bitch and, like, was just like, I'm doing it, Anne. Like, you would be nothing without me, Anne. (laughs) It's like, no, let me teach. Let me teach. It was so funny. That's funny. Oh, my God. Anyway, I was going to say, in that, they also have whoever they're roasting, the historical roast. So at the end of it, Dave, as Hitler, went up and did, like, his rebuttal and, like, you know, roasted everybody else. And uh, and it was funny. I mean, I did send an email to everybody, too, um, saying, like, hey, guys. Because, you know, they give you the lineup of who's on it. I was like, hey, guys, I'm not going to be... In, I'm not going to be myself. I'm being character. Uh-huh. So if you roast Julia Prescott, you <laughs> know, like, it's going to weird. People did anyway. <laughs> it just <laughs> doesn't matter. It didn't really <laughs> stick. I feel like I'm unroastable-ish. I don't want to jinx it. But well, let's try. The only thing that they said, I think, was like, you know, how many comedians I've dated, which now that I'm in a, you know, committed relationship for almost two years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A little outdated, guys. Yeah. Time to go back to the drawing board. Yeah, Time but to I, write did, some I did. Drawing board. I did. I did cover the town before I met my <laughs> beloved. I did. I went through it. Uh, but you know, we can talk about that on another podcast. <laughs> well, that reminds me. Like, so I, I was thinking about the Edgar situation because she marries this guy. He was a producer. Yeah. He wasn't a comic, but no. he w- worked in television. Right. Uh, so Joan Rivers' husband. I was wondering if she had ever actually dated other comics, or if that was like. Back in like yeah. the fifties, or I, you know what? I bet she did. I mean, I feel like any Louis. No, just uh, yeah, there it's always show. Louis. Um, no, I mean it's. I feel like it doesn't matter what era exactly, unless it's like a saloon in the yeah. old west. But anytime that you have a comedy scene that exists around a bar, people are going to be hooking up, and yeah. you may not call it relationships, but it's something. You know her. She and Don Rickles got down for in, sure in like the early fifties. One can only sure. hope Milton. Yeah. After all. Uncle Milty. Paco, have you dated a comic? No. Okay. Me neither, yeah. actually. Yeah. So this is... Uh, um, you guys have it better when you date lady <laughs> comics. We The lady comics, like they put, myself... Do they put out? Is that what you mean? No, I'm oh, just I saying that's that you... uh, they, the guy comics tend to be emotionally distant, but mm. the lady comics are very a little emotional. bit, a little bit chill. Imagine dating that's a, a male very big comic. generalization. That is a big generalization. But can you imagine dating a male comic? Okay. No, just I can't imagine general, being a woman a and, yeah. and dating a male comic because they seem so miserable. I mean, yeah, it's I, not a, it's not cut and paste miserable, right. but it's it's interesting how like the competitiveness manifests. Where it's like, if you're on like a a weekend trip, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, through a town that has a comedy scene, and maybe the person you're dating tweets out that they're at this town, and then maybe somebody says, "Hey, do my show," and then they forget to ask if you can do it too. That kind of thing. And if you're dating, not saying that's happened to me. (laughs) If you're saying, yeah, if your boyfriend girlfriend is a little higher in the comedy on the comedy ladder, then you're always their girlfriend. Or yes. a boyfriend. You're yeah. not another comic. You're... Yeah, and that's something that actually Mike has unfortunately dealt with a little bit, where he's just like, man, can people just see me? Because I'm not. he's not <laughs> a performer, really. I mean, he, he does some performance stuff with um, his friend Andre he's Highland. Julia's boyfriend. Oh, yeah, Andre I know, yeah. yeah, but like he, it sucks. And so I try to bring him in mm-hmm. as much as possible. Yeah, but you, you found someone who like has an artistic thing they do, which is like lateral or like in a, in a it's, slightly It's behind the camera, the yeah. 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 Maybe if you got him a spinning bow tie that he could wear, Ooh. you know? I should tell him he should get a scar or like something really like <laughs> yeah. memorable yeah. and then no one would ever forget him. <laughs> yeah, poor Edgar. I know this... he was bad with money, which is a story that you unfortunately hear so many oh, times yeah. with like, married a businessman who is bad with money. Right, right, yeah. And then Fox telling Joan that she needs to can him because yeah. of all the fighting that was happening. And like, geez, what a dilemma. I know. I I mean, it's so worrisome to go into business, uh, especially like a creative partnership with mm-hmm. somebody that you're in a romantic relationship with. Yeah, like can't do People that. advise against it like across the board. So yeah. if you can make it work, ooh, good on you. It's like sleeping with your roommates, you know. You should not do it. <laughs> no, yes, exactly. You, you should shouldn't n- do it. Never do that. <laughs> but like poor, I mean poor Joan, but poor Edgar obviously, but yeah. like 
Man, like I or felt Melissa, I feel the worst. Oh part, right? yeah, you know. Yeah, I do feel, especially now, now yeah. that Jones passed. Yeah, and I don't know much about her. Were you? You I know, don't much know about, much about Melissa. Um, about besides me. the fact, <laughs> yeah, that was good. Okay. Besides the fact that she's a TV host and she has a son, who seems to be very adorable. Cooper? I don't know Cooper. Yeah, that's one of my favorite scenes in this documentary. It's so sweet. And you know what? Not to harp too much on my fiance, but it reminds me of him a little bit uh, because I hear these stories. Because he's twelve. Because he's twelve. <laughs> I uh, this is how I'm coming out as a pedophile. Um, <laughs> it's weird that my family hasn't noticed. It's very yet. successful twelve year old. It's funny. You just people believe what they want to believe. I just yes. say that he's Short. of age, and yeah. people are, don't bat an eye. <laughs> right, right. They're like my baby girl's getting married. <laughs> um, no, it's uh, that scene in the car where it's Joan and uh, Cooper, her grandson, and. Uh, you know, she's like talking about business, talking about business. And then, you know, she kind of takes a moment and she holds his hand and she says, you got nice hands, mm-hmm. got nice hands, Cooper. Mm-hmm. And then this sweet little boy who loves his grandma he so does. much, he just rests his head on her shoulder. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me, I told Mike, I said, that reminds me of baby Mike, because every time I hear stories about him as a kid, mm. like all of his relatives are like, oh, he was... He was just like this sweet little kid mm-hmm. who like sat on the playground and drew in his little sketchbook Aww. and he would like help you with dinner and he just liked to hug. So it just Jeez. reminded me, I know, what an asshole. Yeah, what a dick. <laughs> what a, no, what a dick am I oh, for okay, finding yeah, yeah. such a great dude? Yeah, you don't deserve that. I don't. How I is don't. his, ha- is his, are his, his hands? His hands nice? are very callous because he draws. He draws too much, yeah. <laughs> But he has good hands. <laughs> yeah, that is a sweet, that is a very sweet moment. And you get this, like a classic duality that you seem to get, I think you get with comedians that are like kind of hard on the outside and sweet yeah. on the inside. She's and, so sweet on the inside. Yeah. I, I read, someone said she was crass on stage and classy at home. I like that. Howard Stern, I think, said that yeah. at, at her funeral, which is like, you get that when you watch this, you know? Yeah. I mean, she has a persona that she has to, to use. I know. Some of those early clips, she's so fast, and she's so yeah. big on stage and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's so great to see some of the old some of those old clips. And it's so interesting to hear her talk about how she doesn't view herself as a comic, that it was sort of like a default, oh, right. like, killing time before she hit it as an actress you're right yeah always an actress which i find really interesting because i feel like a lot of comedians especially have their own myths that they've kind of constructed (sighs) about like i'm really this i mean that's a very hollywood i'm a dinosaur i'm really this or (laughs) i'm really an actress or whatever but i feel like it's interesting that there's um a compulsion to pick a side to pick an identity with that she picked being an actress um but then to also sort of constantly give a coda too of like i'm just being a comedian until this and this and that but let me just tell you something i am disgusted (laughs) and i am appalled by what i have witnessed here tonight i have been a comic for more than 40 years 40 years yes and after hearing the filth that came out of your disgusting filthy mouths i am embarrassed for my profession i respect my craft and tonight i watched all of you defile it with vulgarity languages like what was it carl what did you say sucker and rim job and butt fuck i am ashamed can you hear that carl you used to work clean do you remember that at all what did you say tonight you said shit, you said cunt. You never said that in your routines. You say that for home when the synagogue called for money. I'm just sick of this. I'm ashamed. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It's interesting. Sometimes I feel like I'm cheating on comedy with writing and vice versa. And yeah. it's it's hard to set my goals accordingly. Do I want a late night set or do I want to sell my pilot? Yeah. Can't I do both? What when <laughs> when you're doing one, which one you, you which one do you think about and then smile? Um, it's hard to say because I would probably say in general like 
writing a script and finishing a script makes me feel like a fucking badass. Yeah, like I'm it sure. makes me be like, I did my homework. Yeah, I have my homework in my bag, teacher. If you yeah. want to see it, you know, to yeah. have a finished script is like, ooh, power. Yeah. But then, like, I'll go out and I'll have a great set and I'll be like, oh, this is, you know, I just like connecting with people. And even if it's, I know that's like such a stupid sentence for an artist to say. say Um, I like connecting with people, whether it's people at the grocery store or people over a stage in the middle of nowhere. I just think that that's like my lifeblood. That's one of the beauties of being an artist is is finding that kind of connection. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, some people find it by selling things. Yeah. You know, some people do it by, I don't know, being a principal or something. Mm-hmm. But like as... Sometimes I wish I could be that way. Yeah? Yeah, because I... It, you want to be a principal? No, no. Oh, you want to find a different way. I romanticize what I perceive to be a simpler lifestyle of... <sighs> yeah, I know, of course. Of people... Civilian life, yeah. Civilian life. All comics do. Well, I see... I, it's like even in small ways, like I watched a commercial last night of like this like cool like pinup girl kind of lady who was like running a food truck mm. or something. And it was like some commercial mm-hmm. for like a business marketing or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I was like, wouldn't that be great if mm-hmm. like my, if I could be satisfied by just running a business out of a food truck and like living yeah. in Austin, Texas and like right. just being chill, like just being okay. But instead I know I've surrendered to the fact that I'll never be fully satisfied. Yeah. And there's always going to be something else that I'm going to have to clamor toward. There's, I'm, I'm trying hard to enjoy the moment. Um, it's taken a long time to do that. Um, but then I'll enjoy the moment for five minutes and then I'll be like, what's next? Well, and then that's a nice segue back to the a piece yeah. of work, the Joan Rivers. Cause I, I wrote in my notes, it could have been called starting over, yeah. you know, because like, it seems like, a, th- a through line to this was how many times she's had to like start over oh, yeah. in her career. Yeah. yeah. You know, like that was, she's, she says over and over again in this doc that she's 75. Yeah. And like, I was watching that and starting to hyperventilate a little bit. Because you know? <laughs> so, like, like never, you can never relax. Basically. Never yeah. relax. Yeah. That's Look, what I took away from this movie is just like the insane work ethic she has. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's what appealed to me the most because like very similarly, we start the documentary where she like opens up her date book, yeah, which yeah. is so charming that she still has like a pen and paper date book. And she says like, this is what's terrifying. Look at this. And it's just blank pages. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then like her former manager says something like, oh, she always has this joke. Like, oh, let me t- put on my sunglasses yeah. so I can look at my date book because it's the blinding, blinding light. Yeah. <laughs> Billy, her manager Billy. that did, oh, yeah, does Billy. something. What, what was They he? don't cover it. No. I think he with? just disappeared. He had a, a tendency to disappear yeah. and maybe he laundered money. It's always money it is usually money or drugs yeah or both yeah Yeah, but it's pretty druggy looks Mm. a little druggy but who knows he did have blonde highlights in one of the shots so you never know well that seems the most druggy it does yeah it's a big red flag let's talk guy fury for a second (laughs) but he he features prominently for a while and then all of a sudden she's just kind of like out of part ways yeah but and so the scene uh in the in the limo or the cab after her reviews in London, like after she does her Just play, the, the one woman show, yeah. yeah. And you yeah. see, she gets a standing ovation. I forget the name of the play, um, yeah, I forget it too. Mm, doesn't matter. Uh, after her play in London, she gets a standing ovation. You're like, oh, okay, I know she's on to good things, and, and then yet, the next scene, it's yeah. not enough. It's not enough. That's crazy to me because that felt like a real victory, but then mm-hmm. she gave it all of these you know, other rules to it. Like, well, yeah. that's only London. Right. And yeah. yeah, if I get, uh, like pulled through the coals in, in the New York press, then I'm right. done. Because she was in fun city off yeah. Broadway in the late fifties and she got a bad review. Yeah, and it was like, like 60s or something. she's carrying that with her. But that also speaks to her creative genius where she labored over script, had rehearsals, had a table read, had a live audience come see it, went to Edinburgh, then to London, standing ovations, and she's like, nope, bye. For sure. I'll move on, starting over. I gonna... relate to that. I relate to that process. Not like I've gone through that kind of process in and of itself, but I relate to like birthing something and then just moving on to the next. And like I feel like a lot of times, because I'm like a big project multitasker, so 
people will ask me like, well, what, what did you work on? Like, what about last week or something? I don't know, whatever. I'm like, I can't even remember. Uh. Like I can only focus on what's in front of me right now. I mean, not literally like I can remember, but I, I relate to that very forward momentum kind of work ethic. Are you a multitasker? Uh, yeah. I mean, I do, I'm constantly changing my process. (laughs) Um, but, uh, I do, I'll try and like, if I'm working on several things at once that all need to get done and they all, all have colliding deadlines, um, I'll set a timer for like 20 minutes to work on something or I'll set a goal of like, you got to write 500 words of this thing or something that seems proportionally um, all right for what needs to get done with that project. So I'll do that so that I don't spend an hour on one thing and then go, oh shit. And so that it's better for me and my mindset that I've chipped away at many different things mm-hmm. than just to have one be top heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My problem is, is I'll ha- I'll get in the middle of a script and abandon it for another great idea that I have. Like, that's a great yeah. idea. I'll write that. Well, it's funny that there's nothing more like inspiring than putting off working on something else. Like suddenly <laughs> you're true. like, yes. I, I wrote a cold open of a whole new script while I was trying to finish my last pilot. Yeah. Yeah. And out of nowhere. And I'm still trying now that script is the one that I'm cheating on, you yeah. know, like yeah. it's so funny. Do you uh, belabor yeah. certain things? Like I belabor like character bios. Like I get oh, yeah. way too deep in that stuff. I think so that I just don't write like what I'm supposed to be writing. I like. used to be that way. And I think that now I've gotten to a point where I, I'm like, I know things are going to change. So I try not to, it's funny. I came from, uh, I did a, a theater in high school. I went to an arts high. And so when you do very serious theater anywhere, especially high school, yeah. but they're doing like theater conservatory yeah. stuff. They're like, you must dig into this character and write their entire life story. Right. So then when I started writing, I applied that method yeah. and it just got me nowhere because then I would have like pages and right. pages of these character bios, which by the way, nobody cares about. Like nobody yeah. cares when you're presenting them to a network. They're like, who are these people? Show me a photo. Okay, great. And then they move on. So, and you know that it's just going to change. Just get the archetype of that kind of character and get their dynamic. I would say write out like who pairs with whom and um, like, you know, who, what's our world with those people. But then I've learned to just like keep it short, keep it simple, move on. This is sort of reminding me, one of our past guests, Sam McFeeters, he wrote a novel, and I, maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but I think what he did is he made an Excel file that was color-coded, and it had what every character was doing in, in like a, an Excel file. I could see that working for a novel. Yeah. I've Whoa. read a couple, like, write a novel now, stupid books. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I've probably read every writing book known to man, um, and that was published in the last 10 or 15 years, but... Um, I, that seems to be like that specifically seems to be for novels because there are so many spinning yeah, points. Yeah, yeah. But also, I would say, and I've not yet written anything past like a half hour sitcom script. But if you're doing, I would imagine like a hour long drama or god forbid a feature Ugh. oh that's i could so... that seems so daunting yeah it does oh uh, maybe one day <laughs> <Wow>. um, <laughs> um um we can talk about the simpsons movie <laughs> yeah no well, i yeah it's just just like crazy but um yeah it seems like that would be really helpful i do make a lot of spreadsheets um just in my normal life but mm-hmm. i have y- not yet done that for characters and maybe i will yeah. I also heard with Dune, that's what Frank Herbert did before he wrote it. He actually had like files yeah. full yeah. of character backstory, which makes sense. That's like that's so many generations yeah, of characters. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I can see, especially if you're off to the races. I'm sure like every writer's room has. I mean, that's the Bible. They they have like some version of that, mm-hmm. and yeah, just to keep track of what's going on with everybody. But with sitcoms, they tidy themselves up so much mm-hmm. um, at the end of every episode. So I don't feel like there's that much of a need for organization i was going to go back to something you were saying earlier about this idea of like stand-up and writing being sort of complimentary thing complimentary things but uh or in this idea that maybe you're cheating on one art form yeah. with another art form is there stuff where it's like this could either be a joke or a sketch and then you just make a choice right you know i've come across that a lot but i also <laughs> feel like a hack in saying this but I'll do both and like I'll reuse like who cares it's my idea like Mm -hmm. I have an idea for an episode of the pilot that I just wrote that I um, turned into a sketch because I needed it for a packet and I figured out how to write it as a sketch so it exists as a sketch but I'm also going to be 
um, pursuing yeah, it as not? an episode. Should I, ooh, fingers crossed, uh, winning win the lotto and get my pilot picked? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, but yeah, I I uh, I don't mind doing that, and I think that if it's an original idea, then fuck it, who cares? Yeah. Especially in like this landscape right now with entertainment and comedy, especially like people are getting content from all different angles, and so just yeah. write it up. <laughs> for you guys as comics, what did you guys think of the three by five system that she has? That's another thing I thought was really, I love it, really intriguing. I know Carlin used the same thing. Carlin yeah. had the same three by. I should set, do that. Six. Maybe I'd be more successful. I do. <laughs> I, I I have a box of three by five, and then I write I write out my whatever the premise on one side yeah. and the punch on the other side, and then I have a box that I put them all in. I really should start doing that. I mean, and I remember having this out when I first saw the documentary because. That's the one part of my life that isn't super, super, super organized, like just my sets and material and stuff like that. Like I kind of feel around. I record sets, but I've never listened to them just because I'm scared. Yeah. Um, but uh, I've, I have like written out jokes in Word documents just to get like the wording and the pacing right. But I just I let it. I let it fly, baby, when I'm on stage. <laughs> Keep it loose. Yeah, the, the note cards thing I thought is like was a really standout scene. But also imagine like, 40 plus years of note cards. 50 years of note cards? Yeah. Yeah. Like a re- that's nuts. That's a yeah. ridiculous amount of... She's a machine. Joan Rivers is a comedy machine. Yeah. Money seems to be a big issue in Joan's life as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just yeah. she's got to maintain that lifestyle. The scene where yes. she's writing the checks, where she's signing the checks, and there's a giant folder full of checks that she's signing and she's like people that work for me i make sure their kids go to private school and you know i take care of people and it's, it's just crazy. like except for what happened to billy we don't know yeah. <laughs> yeah oh boy yeah i mean i can't that's so much pressure you hear it a lot from like celebrities of a certain stature of mm-hmm. them just supporting their whole family right i think chris rock said on like some late night talk show or maybe it was even comedians and cards getting coffee mm-hmm. but he said like i can't have a conversation with anyone from my family where they don't ask me for ten thousand dollars <laughs> like that specific amount it's like hey man what's up how you living yeah i get ten thousand yeah. dollars i just need it you know uh it's like yeah. god damn it it's you kind know? of like athletes as well that's yeah. kind of a similar situation I'm which watching... i guess is why those are like uh, entertainment and sports yeah. are like porous like uh ways to get through uh entrenched social it's barriers. just hard. it's hard in general like oh man i yeah, because if you rise to a certain wealth and certain success, oftentimes, especially in creative industries, it'll be that you rise to a certain success and the wealth isn't exactly there, but mm-hmm. people perceive the wealth to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, people come out of the woodwork and it's hard to turn down family and people just assume that you're going to help them out. And I would much rather be low on the totem pole. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, didn't Dane Cook's brother like was like embezzling yeah, a lot of his maybe maybe sense. we should fact check this I before we put it out there yeah. i think i remember hearing this though this was like he like he was his like financial manager or something and he had to cut him out completely oh like, man well there is yeah. also um uh Who's the Smash-O-Matic guy? Oh, Gallagher and oh, Gallagher, Gallagher, too. Gallagher, yeah. Gallagher and his dad. And How like, bizarre. That is a bizarre story. Super bizarre. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, not to... I love my family and they're fantastic and I don't expect any of this from them. I, I hope Meanwhile, not. she's blinking or she's winking at us, so I'm not... Uh, I'm just... Katie! Having a stroke. <laughs> Katie! <laughs> Katie's got her own millions to count. Um, but I... It's it's a fear that like you know you'll rise to let's say I become Matt Groening, mm. <laughs> or maybe yes. not as high. Maybe I become. God, I was gonna say Tina Fey after that. That's not that's <laughs> that's pretty high as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly everybody just expects. They just expect. Mm-hmm. Dinner's and on you. I right? know that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's very stressful. I same. I I knew all these like tech dudes ended up being tech dudes but we were just like people that knew each other in san francisco like and then it's like are you getting dinner because i'm doing this right now right (laughs) you know i understand that that side of it situation a lot especially when i was 22 23 Mm -hmm. like i'm i'm just uh interning assisting Mm. um you know paing whatever like and what are you doing okay well (laughs) yours is a little bit better than mine can you please uh you know uh, it's hard and money ruins everything. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I hate talking about it. 
we were talking before about how there was sort of like this older generation of com- or not that they're older generation. There's a different sensibility from different generations of comedy. So there's some comedians that you might know that are super established, and uh, they were like sort of baffled by like the alt comedy scene or whatever. Yeah. Did you feel like Joan Rivers? Because I feel like just from my generation, she was considered a little like corny. Like for a long time. Oh, yeah. For at least, like, if you were like a fan of like alt comedy, Joan Rivers was considered, even though everyone like respects the skill level. Yeah. There was a corny association, I think. It's I point. think her hosting the Oscars red carpet certainly didn't or help. QVC, that. Or that QVC, that kind of thing. The fact that she did QVC, which. I having, think that changed her yeah. legitimacy as a comic because, I mean, comics, it's like such a dogged um, community of like, you're either in or, you out, or mm-hmm. you're out, mm-hmm. which I think fuels a lot of my insecurity with like choosing writing over stand-up because it feels like I have to choose, um, which is so bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I could, I've known people that have used stand-up as a means to an end to get that writing job. Mm-hmm. I dated one gentleman very briefly who said, yeah, I, uh, I got to quit. I got a job <laughs> and I got to quit. Yeah, I did yeah. it for like three months and I, I finished. Mm-hmm. Finished oh, wow. early. This <laughs> son of a bitch. He was terrible. Three um, months of stand-up? He did, he did like three to six months of stand-up Ugh. and somebody saw him. I hate you, this person. Gig? Somebody saw him. Uh, I think it was somebody. at Flappers. Oh. <laughs> All right, and that's... suddenly he got, I don't know if it was straight to Paco's writer. Paco's melting right but now. But he got a writer's so assistant job on a primetime network sitcom. Oh. And then he rose in the ranks, mm. and then he dated me for a month, oh. and then nothing good happened. She's very happy. She's very engaged. Very happy, and happy right? Now. Very happy. But very sometimes happy. you hear that story, and you're like, "Well, okay, well, fuck those people forever." But then, you know, it's it's um, yeah. On the flip side of that is like just the stand-up community in general is like, "You did this one thing. You're a hack now." It's like very punk and mm. yeah. mean. It's also reminding me a little bit like. Joan Rivers' relationship to Kathy Griffin and, like, maybe this idea of, like, mentors or, like, yeah. maybe, like, because, like, what sh- Kathy may have viewed her as, like, a role model, but it's, like, sounds like they had a tenuous kind of right. relationship. And, like, uh, you know, like a movie like Funny People or something where the guy the guy is being mentored by another comic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, like, that, like, do you feel like Joan Rivers as a joke writer was a men- was like a, a role model for you at all? Or was it just more like looking at her work ethic and like seeing something in this movie? It was more her work ethic. Yeah. Because I'm actually not terribly, terribly familiar with her joke writing. I mean, of course, like, you see a ton of her doing stand up in this documentary. And, you know, um, like, I've seen her do stand up just in general before this. But uh, just as far as like her work ethic goes and her like whole stance of I'm not done yet. Yeah. I think, I mean, we were talking about it stresses us out. It stresses me out certainly because in a creative um, career, you never really get to retire. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's, there's a part of that that is also inspiring of like, yeah, I never, I don't think I ever want to be done. And now I'm at a point and I, I forgive me if this is revealing too much about myself and my, my life goals, but I'm at a point now not soon, but eventually I would like to be a parent mm-hmm. and I'm getting married soon. And, uh, and then, months. you know, maybe you a cat, so. maybe a yeah. handful of years after that, who knows? Um, a good handful, like a, a big, like gummy bears handful. We're not talking two handfuls. We're talking, you know what I mean? Yeah. Five or six years. Anyway. <laughs> what, what, is, um, is the baby the gummy worm? How does The babies are the gummy okay, worms. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's the sperm. <laughs> what are the gummy worms? Anyway, I worry about, um, oh, you know, like my stance in comedy as I become a mother yeah. specifically because oh. uh, women are not treated the same as comedy dads. I think like something like Ali Wong's special coming out is like a game changer for yeah, some of that great. stuff yeah. Right? Yeah. or like I mean yeah she had a uh, Joan Rivers had a very right. active career post giving birth Yeah. even though her relationship with Melissa seemed like it was strained but I think that a lot of that had to do around the death of Melissa's father yeah. I know but you know what I and it's hard because and Mike and I talk about this all the time because we both have very active careers that you know keep us away from home but I mean there's ways to manage around it like he can as an animator he you know, presumably bring his work home, whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. But like, we've accepted the fact that mom and dad are probably not going to be around at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And 
yeah, it's just like, it's really hard to just come to terms with that. And that's going to affect a kid, but you can also, you can't wrap your kid in bubble wrap and just, you know, like try to make sure that they never have a bad thought. Like, shit's going to happen. Yeah. So you can only hope that, you know, they'll be understanding and then you can only hope that your career will survive and you can only hope that life will just continue on and you'll be happy because uh, everything else is chaos. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That yeah. is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the Joan thing is like it seems like she was couldn't really ever jump off the the machine if she wanted to yeah Yeah, the treadmill and i there was a point when in the doc she said if one more female comes up to me and says thank you for opening up the doors i'm going to kill them because i'm still working and then not too many shots later kathy griffin was like it's so great because she opened up so many and i was like they did that on purpose of course yeah yeah and i mean i kind of agree with what she's saying but i also like as far as i think don't call it a legend, <clears throat> call it being a mentor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that's a better way to phrase that because I think being a mentor is fine because it doesn't mean that you're out of the game, but somehow being, she's a legend, mm-hmm. it yeah. suggests that like she's peaked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're on the downswing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. she's so her, She's so sharp in this movie. She's, she's like so 76 sharp. 75. 75. So, 70, so 75 ain't crowd, that old. Yeah, her crowd work yeah. is, is great. Her putting down the heckler yeah. was pretty was amazing. And then her remorse for him. Of course. Right back to oh like off stage. She's the sweet, you know? I know. And you know what was really interesting? This stuck out to me. There's like this really nervous audience member that just like wants to like appeal to her so badly. So she, you know, they're doing a meet and greet and she's like, and I was just so mad about that guy, you know, like just trying to use any sort of tidbit to like rub elbows with Joan. And yeah, absolutely. And I love that Joan was like, yeah, but he has a deaf son. Yeah. You know. Oh, and she's not in a way to shame her, you know, this audience member, but she stuck to her guns in that moment of how she truly felt. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. And that woman was like, oh, my God. I could have. Over in Wisconsin. Um, Yeah. She is definitely, would you you say she's the Frank Grimes of (laughs) the... uh, (laughs) Uh, It's funny you say that. We literally just recorded that episode for my podcast. Um, But the timelines for this podcast and that one is probably way off. Um, But uh, the Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. Um, You know... I, w- I wouldn't classify her as full Frank Grimes because the thing about Frank Grimes is that he is so unable to appreciate the present mm. and appreciate anything. Yeah. That he's blinded by this almost autistic way of looking at the world that, like, you do X and you get Z. You work hard and then you should be rewarded, mm-hmm. which is why he becomes so infuriated with Homer, who's right. just been coasting on his charm. Right, right, right. I think that Joan is able to acknowledge the present and she's able to be grateful. And especially when we see her in that Thanksgiving scene and she's oh, out yeah. doing charity work, I think she's able to acknowledge that she's lucky to be there um, and and not just be so furiously like, why isn't this working? Like she understands that just because you put out a lot of work doesn't mean that you get, you know, Z. Right. Um, And even though that's the thing that she's fighting against throughout the course of this documentary, and that's, you know, ostensibly what the documentary is about is about her fighting against like time and fighting against chance and luck and the industry and blah, blah, blah. It's, she acknowledges that it's all just a crapshoot. Yeah. I think it's pretty incredible well said, by the way. Thank you. Nicely job of wrapping up the Frank Grimes character <laughs> and equating it with... Well, with, it was fresh in my mind. Yeah, with Joan Rivers. That was really great. Mm-hmm. Little, I thought I could throw her a curveball, no George. Way. No there's no, no curveball. I'm trying to remember if Joan Rivers has actually ever been on The Simpsons. I imagine she oh, yeah. must have at some point done a voice. I feel like by this time, it's like the 28th season or something. She must have been. Must have done something. Something's happened. Been early on, I'm sure, yeah. And then the Flo Fox moment... That was the woman that took the photo. Uh, she was the photographer. Uh-huh. Wasn't that her name? Flo oh, Fox. She's getting new promo shots or something. Or no, she's magazine? bringing the Thanksgiving food to. Oh, okay. to yes. Like I'm thinking to myself, only in New York where they randomly drop by to some person in need and they give them food and she turns out to be kind of a famous photographer that was on the Charlie I Rose know. show. I hope like, that they just lucked upon that. 
Yeah. I've been watching a lot of the TV show Unreal, uh, where it pulls back the curtain uh, on shows like The Bachelor. Uh, it's a soap opera yeah. on Lifetime. Yeah. But um, but everything's produced. There's not a real moment on that show, quote unquote. But uh, I feel like that's not the same with this documentary. I feel like they were a little bit more... Um, Filled with integrity. <laughs> I, w- I would hope so. That mm-hmm. would be good. Yeah, it'd suck if they had like some. If they were like, we heard about this s- photographer. Yeah, some scripted <laughs> She's moment. almost homeless. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Joan, get over there. <laughs> with your, with your so get the shot. <laughs> so, Paco, even though you didn't really think it was a great doc, I'd still recommend it to people personally. Would oh, you yeah. still recommend it? Absolutely. It's yeah. incredibly watchable and it's fun. And Joan's a legend. And if you're at all interested in comedy, you should watch it because she's an icon. I just wanted a little bit more. Uh, with any bio doc, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you sometimes you leave. It doesn't matter if they'd spent too much time in her past. I probably would have been like, "What was up with her now?" I know. So you, you never, never win. You never win with bio docs. But I, I really, but with her, I really wanted to know more about. I wanted to see a lot of older footage and stuff. And yeah, like, which is something that they can control. Because I was gonna say, like with documentaries, like you don't know. It's like mm-hmm. you're at the mercy of like just things coming together but with that of course they can just show old clips yeah um and also it's really i mean for those who haven't seen it there's a little spoiler here one two three um is that she at the end she says i'm gonna outlive them all you know just a few years ago and she's like i'm gonna outlive them all you know and it's so sad and sweet at the same time it's like well you're not you know phyllis uh, i guess don rickles first time watching it since she passed yeah. And it was an interesting experience because I'd watched it so many times yeah. before. Yeah. So it was kind of, it was just, it had a different angle to it. Of, yeah, as a complete, it ends on such a high note, but I then know. you're like, but you already passed away. So. I know, the yeah. F- the first time I'd seen it actually was uh, a friend of mine was teaching a comedy class at an art school and she had me like sub for her like she just was out of town she's like we're gonna watch this dvd she gave me the dvd i hadn't seen it i watched it with the class and at the end i was just like okay uh that has nothing to do with anything i know about (laughs) you know like i don't know how to relate it back in but yeah so it was in the context of like this is what comedy is like i guess when you've been doing it for this long and are well known yeah Yeah. well i mean I don't think that there's any movie that you could introduce to a group of people and punchline. No, (laughs) (laughs) with Barry. I'm not saying punchline. I I will go to bat for the statement. Uh, I don't believe that you could make, especially a narrative film. Uh I don't believe that you can make a narrative film about stand-up or improv or any other form of comedy and have it be a hit. I think that it's going to be funny. Funny people was kind of a hit. First chunk of it, certainly. Yeah, Yeah. but I think it's going to be ostracizing for an audience. I think that it's going to be too inside baseball. And I think that any time that you write, and this goes for any other art form, like be it music or whatever, in a script, and then they kill. It is so hard <laughs> right. to deliver. And I would say that Good the point. closest that that has happened is in top five with Chris Rock when he does his stand-up set. But it's because it's Chris Rock. Right. Yeah. yeah. He kills because yeah. he's a fucking killer. But like anything else, it, I'll read scripts and I'll be like, oh, so this is about, you know, young stand-up comics that are trying it for the first time. Mm, hard no. pass because yeah. it's an uphill <laughs> battle. Yeah. Like you, you're, you really got your work cut out for you. And it's best if you abandoned this and wrote your pilot about a couple of people that work in a video store that's dying. Yeah. Which was one of my many failed pilots. Oh, <laughs> you did the Lost Weekend movie? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never works. Actually, don't ever write uh, workplace sitcoms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least not now. <laughs> right, right. Because it's um, Too based on... Well, I, I think that people find themselves, and by people I mean me, you pitch on external story devices versus character driven. What does that mean? It means that it's all about things happening outside. So it's about this video store that's happening versus it's about a character that's struggling with this crossroads in their life and they have to choose blah, blah, blah. Mm. That's the more compelling route, in my opinion, right. my personal opinion that I own completely. Yeah, yeah. Other people have, I mean, certainly The Office and, you know, right. you could argue that uh, workplace sitcoms do have their uh, Hello, position. Mesh. I know. They have their position on the <laughs> shelf. I'm just saying, if you start by just saying, I'm going to make a general workplace sitcom, um, it's it's hard to do. I think that it's better to start, uh, I'm going to make a show about a character who happens to work in Gotcha. X. Yeah, yeah. You, you wrap it around that yeah. kind of stuff. Well, that makes that's, sense. That's my screenwriting 101. <laughs> Taking notes. You're like our mentor. Oh, 
Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for not saying legend. Yeah. <laughs> I would have been like, that's weird. <laughs> well, that's I'm very young. It's <laughs> weird that you would say that. You're like our Frank Grant. No. Um, no. No, you're not. That's you're not. I just love I love him so much. I love that episode. I know. I know. And how interesting, uh, not to completely like derail into my own podcast, but oh, how please. interesting is it that that's a character that was only featured in one, one episode. One episode, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they very rarely, I mean, certainly we see it with Maude Flanders, but they very rarely kill off characters. Right. And yet his influence has continued yeah. across all of these, you know, generations. Well, he, he kind of spoke for that part of the audience that was like, yeah, Homer gets everything. Absolutely. Like he was our other voice Absolutely. in that episode where, where like, we, people were kind of mad at Homer for being Homer. Yeah. And, and he was so cleverly written and the I voice know. was perfect. I know. You know, like so. Yeah. Josh Weinstein, who was a showrunner during, um, you know, a lot of people say the golden age of The Simpsons it, in, yeah. in like seasons. I, I don't know. In, in He started, I think, season three or four or whatever. But he spoke a lot about how that was something that they wanted to do. But they also we're, you know, very cautious because um, we see it with that episode. And I think later, especially with the Armin Tanzarian episode, anytime that you try to flip the script, people tend to get really, really like, even if they agree with it right. and they, they enjoy don't like it, it yeah. they don't like change. Yeah. People just don't like change in general. But they wanted to have at least one episode where somebody was commenting on the absurdity yeah. of this world. And also, Homer wasn't a dick to him. That's the other no. thing. Homer in That's the mid-90s or early early 90s mid 90s was still kind of an asshole uh-huh. and in that episode he was sweet kind of sweet to frank absolutely Frankie, grimesy i he was trying to be a friend yeah he was trying and to you be know his what? friend it's not homer's fault because he's he's gone <laughs> through great. his entire life being treated positively for his buffoonery yeah and so there's been no context clues as to this being problematic yeah until frank grimes right so you know, why else would he... Be, like, he has to be cu- kind to him. And yeah. he's also completely, like, mind-boggled by it. Like, yeah. I don't understand why this person doesn't like me. The fact that he cares about him liking... Like, Frank Grimes liking Homer yeah. says a lot about how he's empathetic. Right. And the fact that he goes out of his way... I mean, we see that with this episode and then also Homer loves Flanders. Oh, yeah. You know, he feels remorse and he wants to mend this yeah. relationship. He's very compassionate and I don't think people give him enough credit. No. Yeah. Godspeed, little snickerdoodle. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought of, oh, little Lisa. Oh, little Bart. Oh, little Marge. <laughs> For the Treehouse of Horror episode. Yeah. My friend, I, I, we got to kind of wrap this up, but my friend, I do want to say my friend found, found a, um, a, uh, what are they called? A, not a slide. Not no, not a playbill, but a slide from the Simpsons. An animated oh, cell. Oh, in the bushes in Oakland what? for Treehouse of Horror. No, Four. that's crazy. In, in Oakland, weird. in a bush, he I was know walking. Some people would be very pissed off hearing. He that. was walking his dog. My my buddy and I are huge Simpsons fan. He was walking his dog. Saw something. It was in an envelope. Took it home. Didn't even really look in it. Was gonna wait till he got home. Looked in it, and it's an animated cell from Treehouse of Horror. And he called me up like, "Get your, get your, you know." He's like, so excited. Yeah. I lived in Oakland. I've had some stuff stolen from my house. I could see how that could happen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a rough part of town. But thank you for for picking this doc. Oh, Uh, thanks for uh, having me. People should watch it. Piece of work, Joan Rivers. On Netflix. It is on the the Netflix. Um, Check out. Julia's podcast, Everything's Coming Up Podcast. On iTunes, and we're at Simpsons Pod on Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. Thank you for having us in your lovely home. Thank thank you. you. My cat's been, my my cat's angry that we've been partying without him. (laughs) Let's party with your cat. All right. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks a lot, Julia. You can find episodes of SupDoc on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Please subscribe, review, and rate. For show notes and more information about George and Paco's appearances, visit supdocpodcast.com. You can send your corrections, questions, or comments to supdocpodcast at gmail.com. We'd also like to thank Documentary News for their continued support. Please check out documentarynews.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Subdoc Podcast. This show is produced by Will Scoville and our theme music by David Siegel.